Good morning. Um, welcome to the second installment of the second chapter of James. Um, last week, uh, we went over verses 1 through 13. And today, we are going to go over the remainder of the chapter, which is verses um, 14 through 26. Um, if you missed uh, that class, make sure you go back and watch it. Um, because you'll see there's a recurring theme throughout not just um, this chapter, but the entire book of James. And we're going to kind of um, sum things up, I guess. Uh, We're going to hit the main point that James is trying to get across throughout this entire book, if you haven't caught on to it already. Um, So, I'm reading uh, out of the New King James again. So if you want to follow along with me, uh, that's what I'm reading out of. So let's go ahead and get right into the 14th verse. It says, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? Okay. Now, if you remember... Uh, we had talked about several times up to this point that the book of James is fairly controversial to some people that uh, even Martin Luther himself um, was against the book of James being included into what we know as like now the um, you know the, the King James version but the, 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 the Bible, in its entirety, he was he was actually in a, in opposition of the book of James being in here, and it was really this this very verse right here. Uh, let me read it one more time. It says, "What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him?" Now, if you just take that verse by itself, maybe you can see why James or I'm sorry, why Martin Luther um, maybe had a problem with it. Um, because that verse in and of itself could be interpreted incorrectly, uh, mind you, as saying that salvation is based on works. Um, and we just know that that is not the case. Um, and there's a lot of people, again, who think that James is being contradictory to um, what Jesus taught, what Paul taught. Um, but he really isn't if you understand what he's saying and you listen to it in its entirety instead of getting these little, uh, you know, clickbaity snippets, uh, you, these pieces of verses most of the time, not even a full verse that's pulled out of context. Um, so this is why Martin Luther opposed and said he said that, that this verse right here lacked evangelical character. Um, now he came around to it. Uh, I will say that I'm not, I'm not knocking Martin Luther. He's, he was a much more wise and, and, uh, studious man than I was, uh, uh, am in the scriptures. Um, so he, when he really sat down and he needed just like I do, he needed, um, counselors to, to show him how it was complimentary and not contradictory. So, um, what do you think about that? If he has faith but does not have works, can faith save him? 
Well, if we pause there, um, and and we just kind of gave our opinions based on our um, experiences, you know, physically in this world and spiritually, you know, what 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 do we think here? But remember, I said James would be a great men speaker because he's kind of straight to the point and he doesn't leave anything up um, or open for interpretation, really. So he asks this question, but then let's go to verse 15 and he answers it. Okay, verses 15 through 17. He says, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to that person or to them, Depart in peace. Be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body. What does it profit? Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Okay, so the the previous question, I'm, I'm just want to reiterate verse fourteen for a second. Read. I want to read verses fourteen through seventeen. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace and be warmed and filled, but you don't give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? What good is it? Thus also faith by itself does not have, if it does not have have works, is dead. So he answers his own question. And this is where some people kind of uh, had a fit back in, you know, back in the day. Um, you know, is James trying to throw grace out? Is he saying that we earn salvation through our works here? And then the big debate began. Um, you know, uh, well, James is in conflict with the Apostle Paul. Well, when people begin to really study and pay attention to what James is saying, you find out pretty quickly that there isn't any conflict, but that the writings are complementary in such a way that they give us a better understanding of God's attributes and his character. Okay, now, um, if, if you've been in class... You know that my goal, or if you've been watching for any period of time, my goal for this class is to edify and equip the saints, right? And um, if you joined the class early on, which I, I, I'll reiterate it this week, uh, I started out by saying, let's agree, or can we agree that the Holy Scriptures are are infallible 100% from front to back Um, because if that's where we have to start and if we can agree on that then when we have a disagreement or when when um, there is a different interpretation of the scriptures there really won't be conflict so this is why I'm saying this because I've said several times now that there's been conflict with James and Paul that people think that right I don't really think if you attend Old Brazier's Chapel um, I, I don't I'm not saying that you think that or that I think that um, this was years ago and some people still do um, but I, I think we have a good understanding that the scriptures are 
entirely complementary to each other. And it's for that very reason, right? It's, it's for the better understanding of God's character and uh, in order that he could be glorified, that we can glorify him better. So let's just talk about this little squabble, this debate between Paul and James for a second, okay? Paul says that we are justified by faith apart from observing and practicing the law. So the majority of his letters to the churches, you know, um, Ephesus, Thessalonica, um, things like that, uh, Galatia, it was it was primarily that it was it was um, hey you're justified by your faith apart from the the Jewish law. Well, then James comes in and says, "This is where it complements." Okay, he says you're 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 saved by faith apart from uh, observing and practicing the law, and I mean that to the you know to the letter to its completion. And then James comes in and just really, Paul just kind of hands the baton off to James. And James comes in and says that that faith that, that we're, that Paul's talking about that saves you, saves you. If it doesn't produce works, then there's no real faith there at all. So, um, let me give you an example of what James is saying. The teaching of Paul and James the teachings of Paul and James run parallel with each other. Okay, so Paul was combating Jewish legalism a lot, which said, you know, works are needed to be justified. But James and Paul both come together and say, good works are the proof of your faith. Okay, good works doesn't become faith in and of itself, and it certainly doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. What we do does not save us, right? Um, Look in Romans 6. You know, Paul actually says, uh, are you trying to abuse grace? Should we sin more and more so that we can show how great grace is? Now I'm paraphrasing. But then he says, God forbid, right? That idea there is... uh, at one time, there was a group of people that believed, well, you know, if God is so loving and so merciful and so gracious, let's show everyone how gracious he really is and how merciful he really is by committing more and more sin to show how much sin Jesus forgives. And we know that's an absolutely ridiculous statement, but it, this was going on. And Paul says, God forbid. So right there, Paul is saying that what you do matters. So he says at one time you are actually a slave to sin, which leads to death. But now Christ has come to justify you by faith. And now that faith should produce obedience. Right? And what is obedience? It's works. It's it's conduct. It's, it's behavior. That's our obedience when God tells us to do something and we do it. Right? Think of the uh, the two servants. Uh, I wish I could remember the address, but you remember when when um, it might have even been two sons. I think it was now uh, the two sons where the father said, uh, 
go and do this. And the one said he would and then didn't. And the other one said that he didn't or he wouldn't and he did. And which one did what was right? And it was the one that did the thing, not the one that said he would do it. Okay. So it's about obedience and our obedience, excuse me, our obedience is shown through our conduct, through our works, through our behavior. So this is what I mean. Paul has handed that baton off to James and he's not still holding on to it, but he's completely let go here. Right? Um, and what I mean by that is the scriptures here are showing a different angle of God's character through James's writing, who's taking things a step further. And James says that if your faith doesn't produce those works, then it's dead. It's worth it's worthless, right? It stinketh. You know? You're not really loving your neighbor by just saying the words. You actually have to feed them. You actually have to clothe them. You have to serve them. That's that's what matters. We uh, and and when you do those things, that is loving them. You know, we talk a lot about the the uh, like last week we talked about how Jesus Christ summed up the commandments in the two commands that He gave, which is to love God above all things and to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you do these things, all the other things will fall into place, right? Because if you love God then you'll be obeying those commands. And if you love your neighbor as yourself, then you'll be obeying those commandments also. But here's the thing. We have to actually do something, is what Paul is saying in verses 15 through 17. We have to do something. Let's look over in verse 18. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. Right? Imagine, um, let let me give you an example. Imagine for a second that I was up here, and I was talking about how drinking from a styrofoam cup and a plastic straw is causing the world, um, you know, is causing global warming and killing animals and it's creating all these horrible environmental risks. And then I'm going to condemn anyone that's doing it. Right? You see what I'm saying? How ridiculous is that? If, if, I'm, if I'm standing here and I'm saying that, but you can clearly see that I'm doing the exact thing that I'm condemning someone for, then just because I say that I have faith doesn't mean that I really do. James says, I'll show you my faith by my works, right? Because if I really believed that, I wouldn't be doing that. Um, it's the same thing with a lot of this... Uh, the uh, climate change, global warming stuff, you know, and they have these big conferences about fossil fuels and 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 air pollution and stuff. And I'm I'm not you know necessarily ragging on all that stuff right right now. I'm not going to get into that rant, but 
they have these conferences every year where thousands of people fly in or drive there to the area instead of doing like a Skype call. You know, it just seems, I don't want to say odd, it seems um, in direct conflict with what they're preaching. And the real reason is because they don't believe it. You know, um, at least when it, like when I think about somebody talking about environmental impacts, if they're doing really trying to do something different, you know, they're recycling and they're, they're trying not to use, um, you know, be overly wasteful and things like that. Like that's someone that really believes what they say. And, and I have a lot of respect for that, but it's hard for me to have that same respect for someone that is an open, open conflict with their own preaching. So again, it's our works are proof of salvation. Okay. So for instance, let's talk about the word love. You feel loved, right? Like if you're married, you feel loved by your spouse or if you have children, you you feel loved by your children. But how do you know that someone loves you? Especially with your kids, if you have if you have children, you know that your children love you by their obedience to you, right? Like I love when my son and my daughter, I love when, for those of you that know me, which most of you do if you're watching this, um, like when Emma comes up to me when I get home from work and she comes and hugs me and she tells me how much she loves me, and like, oh, that feels good, you know? But you know what really feels better is when she is in like a group setting with a bunch of kids that are getting rowdy or something like that. And I have told her not to do a particular thing and she doesn't know I'm watching and she tells the other kids, I can't do that because my daddy told me not to like that shows me that she loves me. And I appreciate those moments so much more. You know, do you understand what I'm saying? So, um, it's, it's the proof. It's, our, our works are the proof of our faith. So if you say that you love someone in that sense, then you will show that, you will project that through what you do. Um, First John actually says that anyone who says they are a child of God and they do not obey him, they make themselves a liar and the truth is not in them. And just so there isn't any doubt of what he means, he then says that those who practice sin are of the devil. And by this, you know that you are of God if you obey his commands. So James is again just saying that you cannot say that you have encountered Jesus Christ in a supernatural way and it not change you. Okay? This is the over, the um, the the blanket theme of, of James here. You cannot say that you have encountered Jesus Christ supernaturally and it not change who you are. And if you do make that claim and it does not change you, then you are lying. Then you are a liar. You make yourself a liar. So the Bible says that it is impossible to live in perpetual not talking about stumbles, but perpetual and habitual sin that is unchanged if you have truly encountered Christ. This is the this is the whole point here. 
Okay, this is why it's so challenging for us believers because we do tend to stumble and fall into sin. You know, I love that meme of the guy that's riding the bike and he takes a stick while he's riding a bike and he shoves it in his own spokes and it makes him fall off and then he blames it on somebody else. That's basically what we do when it comes to our sin, right? Uh, we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago about the how people say, well, the devil made me do it. No, he didn't. You did it. it was your own desires made you do it. Don't blame anyone but you. You're the one that made the decision to sin, you know? So in the, in the same sense, um, I'm not talking about, I'm, uh, when I'm talking about this, this lifestyle of sin, I mean, you cannot be an open practitioner and be in open disobedience to the risen Christ and, and claim that he has changed you. Okay. So let's look at uh, verse 19. All right, here it comes. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. Mm. This is one of my favorite and most used verses uh, throughout all of Scripture. And, And I'll explain why in a minute. But this is a very, very convicting and cutting verse. You know, if we thought James was being harsh before, um, now he's brutal. James is saying, in a nutshell here, I'll, I'll paraphrase. You believe the Word of God. You believe Jesus Christ was the Son of God who lived that perfect life who was the pure and holy sacrifice that was required to satisfy God's wrath and justice for the sins of the world. You believe that? You believe that he conquered death and rose on the third day and ascended into heaven where he now sits at the right hand of the Father. You believe that? So what? So what? So do the demons. Man, man, I still remember the first time I read this. It's rough, right? Well, the reason why I love this verse so much and I use it so much is because in our environment, in the Southeast, in the Bible Belt, in North Alabama, in Arab of all places, is that everybody you talk to is a Christian. Everybody you talk to has been born again. Everybody you talk to has been saved and and been baptized, you know, or they're a member at at a church. But their conduct clearly shows that they are not a regenerate, born again, through the spirit, born of the spirit Christian. And you, it's very difficult for someone to witness and evangelize to an individual that we love to try to show them that they aren't saved when they've been told their whole lives that they that they are you know I, that this is why I love this verse so much because I can ask those questions to somebody I can say okay so you believe all that right you believe all of this yeah well that's great I'm glad so what so do the demons So here's something to really pay attention to down there in the bottom of the verse. 
something really sobering. They tremble. Some some translations say they shudder. They shudder and tremble out of reverence and fear of Almighty God. Do you? Do I? Do I have so much reverence for God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, that at the sound of that, that I so believe it, that I'm so aware of it, that I shudder? Because the demons do. If you look back in the four Gospels, when the disciples are trying to figure out and rationalize this whole Messiah thing that Jesus is trying to get across them, they're completely missing it, right? They're completely missing it. And the demons get Jesus right every single time. Every time. So the demons know exactly who Jesus is. They understand it perfectly. And James is challenging them and us here um, that you can understand who God is perfectly and still be lost. You can understand who he is. You can check those boxes that you believe those things, and you can still be a lost sinner. You know, Mickey Hunt calls it the devil level. I like that. You've, if you believe all these things, good. You've made it up to the level of Satan and his demons. So how do you know the difference of whether you have a demonic faith or a faith that brings salvation? Well, James says very plainly, just like when Jesus was asked, you know, can you sum this up? So, so how do you know that, James, how do you know the difference? I'll tell you how. Works. What you do. You see what the demons do. They kill, they steal, and destroy. But they believe in Jesus. And if you believe in Jesus, but you just live an open life of rebellion against the lordship of Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, remember earlier in the chapter, then you've just got a demonic faith. That's all it is. So think about this. Another example. Acts 19. The seven sons of Sceva. Some people say Skeva, but we're in Marshall County, so I say Sceva. Um... Here are these sons of the Pharisees, and they become jealous of Paul. Uh, they didn't like the celebrity that, that, that followed Paul. So they, too, wanted that same status. And Paul was healing people and casting out demons. So they walk in there, these sons do, and they're just going to use the name of Jesus just like Paul did. You know, um, so again, he's healing. Paul's healing people and casting out demons. So they say, well, we can do that in the name of Jesus. We need Jesus' name. So now think about that. They used the right name, right? So they come to a demon-possessed man. If you guys don't know the story, please read it because it's, it's great. <clears throat> and they say, in the name of Jesus that Paul calls upon, come out of this man. Now they use the name of Jesus. Shouldn't that do it? But then the, the demons answer, and they say, Jesus, we know. Now think about that. Jesus, we know. And then they say, 
Paul we recognize. Now that's a, it's a little you know it's a little demotion for Paul, but rightfully so. But still, the demons recognize who Paul is, and then they say so. They say Jesus we know, Paul we recognize, but who are you? We don't know you. Meaning what? That Jesus' name in the hands, in your hands, right, doesn't mean anything. Not only did they not come out of the man, but they attacked these, these men. They stripped them naked, and then they ran for their lives. But they used the name of Jesus. So why didn't it work? Because it was in the wrong hands. Remember we talked about a few weeks ago about God and trusting us with responsibilities? Jesus we know. Paul we recognize. But who are you? We don't know you. You aren't one of his. You don't belong to Jesus. So let me ask you a very convicting question. Okay? And I'm I'm asking myself. What would the demons say about your name? What would they say? Would they say, Jesus, we know. You, we recognize because of your commitment to the faith. Or would they say, who are you? You know, we've seen your life. You're, you're going to show up here on Sunday in this, in, in, in this building on Sunday and, and, and be shouting praise and, and saying, telling everybody how great God is and putting on a show, but you've been dwelling with us all week. All week long, you've been you've been just stewing in sin. You're going to come up here on Sunday and sing these songs. You're going to try to tell us what to do. You don't believe in Jesus any more than we do. That's what James is saying. He's saying that just believing in the concept of Jesus and who he is is not enough. Let's look over in uh, verses 20 through 22. If, I, if um, By the way, if I need to clarify any of this stuff, I need to go back over this again. Um, feel free to just like drop a comment, text me or call me or whatever. Because um, I don't want to be moving too fast through this stuff. Or if I'm not explaining it well enough, you know, please let me know. So verses 20, 20 through 22, it says, But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? Now you may ask, why in the world are they talking about this? You know, why, why is James bringing this up when it's before the resurrection? Or maybe you've wondered... You know, just a, not really a tangent here, but just maybe you've wondered how did people before Christ receive salvation? Through faith, just like we do, just like the rest of us, through faith. But see, people tend to think that they were saved by the law, but we know that the law only shows us who we are in relation to who God is. They didn't keep the law any more than we do. 
they are they were saved by their faith. But see, they were saved by grace through faith in a savior to come, just like we are saved by grace through faith in a savior who came. Okay? Now if that if, if that doesn't clarify any any do you ever think about Christ's return and long for it? This is the same thing, right? They have a faith in a, in a coming Christ. So the question here is, when did Abraham prove to God that he could be trusted and his faith was true? Now, you remember we talked about trials um, quite extensively, you know, especially in the, the first chapter. Um, you know, those trials aren't to show God who we are because he already knows, but it's for God to show us who we are and so that we could be um, purified. So when when did Abraham sh- prove to God, I should say, and to himself that his faith was a real faith and not just him saying something? It's when he obeyed. It's His faith was proven when it was tested. You remember us talking about that? You know, we, we, we face those trials to test the genuineness of our faith, to purify it, to show us who we really are and what we really believe. So Abraham's faith was perfected or validated, right? It was made perfect. It was validated by his obedience through his works because of his faith that was ultimately given to him by God. I'm going to expand on that in just a second. Let's let's go to the next verse, verse 23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. So, so let's ask the question here. Where does our faith come from? Right. If, if, if you're a Christian, which I, if you're watching this, I believe that you probably are. If you're a Christian, where does your faith come from? You know, who gave it to you? Who gives it to us? Because we know that we are saved by grace through faith, right? But is it our faith? Well, sure. It's our faith. And, and, and how do we... Um, We, we know how faith comes, right? It, it, the, the, the word tells us that faith comes by the hearing of the word. But once we hear the word, do we bolster our own faith? You know, or like, um, you know, do we bolster or do we make our own faith increase? See what I'm saying? Is it me making my faith grow? Well, Romans 12, 3 says, For I say... Though the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly, as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. There you go. There's your answer. Where does our faith come? Or come from? It comes from God. Our faith in God comes from God. So here's, I think there's nothing really there's not much more sobering to to a believer to a born again christian 
or there's not much better example of God's sovereignty than un- than understanding that we are saved from the wrath of God by the grace of God through our faith in God that he gave us to begin with. Right? Let me let me say that again. We are saved from the wrath of God by the grace of God through our faith in God and that faith comes from God. Salvation has nothing to do with us. Right? We um j- j- just like Lazarus didn't choose to come out of the grave after being dead. So so God chose to give you faith, the faith that you have in himself. And that now, if you're not a believer, this isn't going to make much sense. And if you are, this is going to be confusing. Okay, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I understand all of it. I just agree with it. But didn't you choose to accept Christ? So did you choose God or did God choose you? The answer is Yes. <laughs> but we won't open that can of worms today. Uh, um, you know, I'm, I'm not getting into that. Yes, you had to choose him, but he chose you. So uh, my flesh, my flesh, <laughs> I apologize. My flesh may not always like what God does, <laughs> but I've never been able to argue with his word or with the results that he, that, that come about from his ways, right? They're always right. Abraham trusted God no matter the outcome. Do we? That, this, that's, that's what he's getting at here. That's what James is writing about. Okay? Let's look at verse 24. It says, You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Okay. So here's here's one of those verses again that if taken out of context, if not read and read and if not, I'm sorry, I'm struggling today. If not read correctly, could be skewed um, very easily. So, say what he what he's saying is saying that you have faith is one thing, and that's that's fine and all. But when you show that you have faith, then our faith is justified by our works. Okay. Again, again, you are not justified by your faith only. It doesn't say you're not justified by your faith, period. It says by your faith only. Because your faith has to produce something. Uh, The fruit that Jesus Christ talks about, right? That's our evidence. That's our works. And our works are the evidence in completion of our faith. Does that make sense? Um, Just like Abraham, we are accounted righteousness because we obey I did what God told me to do. It didn't earn me salvation. What I'm saying is that the faith that is making me righteous is confirmed by my actions. I did what God told me to because of what he's done for me. I'm not doing what he tells me to do because I want him, like, in order for him to save me. He, I'm already saved. Now I'm doing it out of obedience and love and reverence for him. I talked about this 
um, a couple of weeks ago that grace abuse is huge right now in the American church. It really doesn't matter what you do. Is what this is what they, this is what's being taught. Okay, it it doesn't matter what you do. Should we really be calling sin sin? You know, maybe God has evolved on some issues. You know, may, maybe we shouldn't be so judgmental about the conduct of our members because you know He would love first. God is gracious and merciful and all loving, right? So, uh, and He's all loving right where you are. You don't have to change anything. God wouldn't really condemn someone for how you're born. Now, all of that sounds awfully familiar to something that came straight out of the mouth of Satan himself. Right? God wouldn't really do that, would he? Now, let me tell you one thing that God won't do, and that's that he won't leave you right where you are. He may come get you where you are, but he's not going to leave you there. See, we have to be careful because they aren't really saying that God just loves you where you are. I mean, that is what they're saying, but the intent there and what they're telling millions, what they're telling millions of predominantly youth is that God will keep on loving you just the way you are. Nothing has to change. Well, I've got news for you. I had to be changed by Jesus. I had to be changed and and still do, and it's often painful. Now, you may say that you were born that way, but Jesus says that you must be born again to be acceptable to God, right? What do you do matters because it's the evidence of what you really believe. So what this That's what this whole second half, the whole chapter, the entire book is about. I mean, it's about Christ, but it's, it's James telling us, what you do matters because it's the evidence of what you really believe. Let's look at verse 25 and verses 25 and 26 and we'll wrap this up. Likewise was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. You cannot separate who you are from what you do. And not only that, but you also can't separate whose you are from what you do. You cannot separate who you belong to from your conduct. Now, I'm going to do something just a little bit different for those of you that are watching at home. <clears throat> And I would like to read 1 John chapter 3 to you, okay? I, I want to read this um, to, to give you ex- an understanding of exactly what, what I'm saying here. It says, Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed that we shall be, or what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. 
and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. He who sins is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. In this the children of God and the children of the devil are manifest. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another, not as Cain, who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. So do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love the brethren. He who does not love his brother abides in death, and whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And by this we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence towards God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. Now he who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. Our conduct matters. Our works matter. Our lack of works matters. We cannot continue to sit on the sidelines and read our scriptures and and just say that we believe these things and not do something with it we can no longer sit on our hands now I'm talking to me more than anyone else we can no longer say that we are children of God if we are not diligently, intentionally trying to pursue him and his love and his righteousness by obedience. So, 
been a good chapter. It's been a, a challenging chapter. I hope um, that I was able to clarify some things. Uh, I hope I hope that you got something out of out of this chapter. I know I did. Um, please continue to pray for me um, and for this class. Uh, I'm going to keep doing this indefinitely. I don't care if nobody watches um, or if just one person watches. Um, I'm going to keep doing this um, because this is a good outreach. This is a good way to, um, to, to challenge me on what I believe. Um, so I, I ask that, that you would um, promote this class, promote this I don't want to say the channel because it sounds corny and cheesy. You know, like and subscribe. Um, send send these out to somebody you think might get something out of it. Maybe there was a, maybe somebody asked you a question that, that you could, couldn't quite articulate that we've covered, that maybe you could just send them the video. Um, but whatever the case may be, um, I appreciate you guys for watching. I appreciate you for listening. Um, most of you I've already talked to in person. I love you guys. Um, I appreciate you. I appreciate the time you spend um, just listening to me. Um, but challenge me just as James does and call me out if I am in error or if I'm not being as transparent as I ought to be. Um, so with that, next week we'll be starting chapter three. Um, we're going to keep about the same the same pace, I think. Um and we just there um so anyway thank you again for watching thank you guys for um sticking sticking with me um i appreciate you love you guys and i will see you next week